somewhat controversial statement. He said, the richest spot in the face of the earth isn't found in the diamond mines of South Africa. The richest spot in the face of the earth isn't found in the oil fields of Saudi Arabia. He said, no, the richest plot on the planet is found in your very own neighborhood. It's in your local cemetery. He said, the graveyard is the wealthiest place in all of creation. For beneath those rectangular pieces of sod lie countless unsung melodies, countless unwritten songs, unwritten poems, unwritten novels. All that could have been lies under that grass soil. The grassy plots overflow with brilliant ideas, brilliant decision-making, ideas that could have transformed entire communities, ideas that could have revived and reformed numerous churches, Ideas that could have rehabilitated the lost and love that could have brought hope to the weary. He said, for our burial grounds in the United States reek with unattained success and unrealized dreams. Passage I read to you earlier from the book of Galatians says that God has gifted us with the ability to do far greater, far more than we could ever imagine. I like what the Message Bible says. God can do anything in you and through you. The problem is so many of us don't grasp that reality. We don't grasp that truth that God wants to dream big dreams with you. See, in every heart that is a Christ follower, God has planted hopes and dreams and possibilities Each one of you in this room this morning, God has spoken into you at one time or another. Maybe when you were young, maybe as you've gotten older, maybe it's been recently, maybe it's been in your distant past, but God has spoken into you some dream, some hope, some expectation that He wants to achieve in you, with you, and through you if you let Him. You see, what I'm afraid is so many in the church reach the end of their journey. Like the author said, Go before Christ with unrecognized and unrealized dreams. That couldn't be said about Joseph. As we've been studying Joseph for these past eight weeks, we've, we've seen ups and downs and we've seen good and bad, but last week when we left him, his whole life had changed overnight. It, it was an overnight success that was 13 years in the making, but overnight his life went from being in the prison to being in the palace. He went from being in a damp, dungy jail cell to standing before the greatest leader of the greatest kingdom known to man at the time. You want to talk about moving on up. I mean, it it gives George Jefferson a run for his money. And now, um, that's an obscure 70s reference that the 11 o'clock service will get. You guys probably didn't get. But when I I thought about that, I, I mean, I just have to be honest to show you how old I am. But when I thought about that and I thought... Joseph moving in one instant, in one blink of an eye from, from prison into the palace. I could kind of see him doing that George Jefferson walk, you know, moving on up. I mean, he, he attained incredible status in such a short amount of time. If you've been with us these past couple of weeks, you, you know that he went from 13 years as a slave and a prisoner in a foreign country to all of a sudden on the bridge, on the brink of achieving every dream that he had ever imagined. 
We learned last week, just to catch you up, that he is taken from prison because finally the cupbearer, two years in the making, remembered that Joseph could interpret dreams because Pharaoh had a dream that was bothering him. And so Pharaoh is, is bothered by this dream. The cupbearer who was in prison with Joseph, he interpreted the cupbearer's dream. And so the cupbearer says, wait a minute, Pharaoh, I remember a guy. There's this Hebrew guy that's in prison, and he said he's in prison unjustly, but he's in prison and he can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream. And Pharaoh said, bring him here. And so they bring Joseph out of prison. He gets cleaned up. He gets shaved. They put clothes on him, nice clothes. They move him to the palace. And he looks at Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him his dream. Joseph says, I can't interpret it. But with God's help, God will interpret it for you. And Joseph gives a perfect interpretation of the dream. The dream, two dreams. Seven fat cows and seven lean cows, and the seven lean cows eat the seven fat cows. And then right after that, he had seven uh, heads of wheat that are big and, and ready to, to bloom. And the seven lean heads of wheat come in, and they grind them out. And Joseph said, what God's trying to tell you, what God is about to teach you, is that we are about to experience seven years of blessing, seven years of plenty. But that seven years of plenty is going to be followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh hears it and he recognizes that that is God and God's word. But Joseph goes a step further. Joseph says, yes, but that's not all. What we need to do, what God is trying to tell you is what we need to do is during those seven years of plenty, we need to store up. We need to take all that's left over. We need to be tight with what we eat and take up all across the land, all of the bonus, all of the plus, and store it back for when the seven years of famine come, we'll be ready. And Pharaoh says, that's an amazing plan. We read last week where Pharaoh says, is there anybody that we know that can implement that plan according to God's will? And he looks and he says, I can't think of any better person than this prisoner that's standing in front of me. And he looks at Joseph and he says, you have the job. He went from being unemployed to being put in charge of one of the greatest kingdoms known to man. If that is not an incredible Overnight success story, I don't know what is. And that's where we're going to pick up, catches us up to chapter 41, verse 41. And you can follow along in your order of service, or you can read with us if you want to read. Starting verse 41, it says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, this is after he's already been given the job, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Not some of it, not a little bit of it. He is saying, basically, you are going to be the president of the land. I'll be still the king, I'm still the Pharaoh, but you're going to run the place. All of the land of Egypt, as I said, which was the greatest kingdom at the time. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. So I want you to imagine this. He, he goes from not having a job to having the greatest and best job that there is. He goes from being poor, eating nothing in jail. Pharaoh takes off his signet ring, which within that kingdom, that means that I am giving you the keys to the kingdom. This is the money. This is the check writing. This is the American Express Platinum. I am handing it to you. You get whatever your hearts desire and then it said and then he took off and he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around your neck now that's significant because if you remember back to genesis 37 what did his dad give him a robe of many colors remember that's what got him in trouble with his brothers in the first place it got torn to shreds it got stolen from him and here is pharaoh saying listen i'm giving you another robe a better robe a robe that recognizes who you are matter of fact that was his way of saying you are now a part of this family you don't just have a job now you go from someone that didn't have anybody to someone who is now a part of the family that's hugely significant 
And he had him ride in a chariot as his second command. And the men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He, this is a, a sign of prestige. Not only is he given a new job, he's given wealth, is he given a new family, is he given a new recognition. All of a sudden he is told, this guy is going to be famous throughout all the kingdom. When he rides in his chariot, people see him and recognize how great he is. Now you talk about your life being changed in an instant. You see, some of you today, you're in a situation where you're facing mountains or you're facing hurdles or you're facing struggles. Maybe today's tax day. Maybe you've got your taxes and you're looking at that check that you have to write to the IRS and you're saying, Lord, I don't know where it's coming from. Some of you, it's been a tough year. Some of you are facing medical issues. Some of you are facing things that you think, I I don't know how we go from here to over there. God can change your circumstance and situation in an instant. In an instant. If you trust Him, if you believe in Him. Now this wasn't instantaneous, it was 13 years. that we've seen all that He's gone through. But in the instant in Joseph's mind, everything changed. And he said in verse 44, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph a new name, Zapaneth Paneah, Zapaneth Paneah, which simply means God lives and speaks. Now do you think it's ironic that a pagan king in a pagan kingdom, after listening to Joseph's testimony, I can't do it, God can, God's going to give you the interpretation, all of a sudden looks at him and says, listen, I'm going to give you a new name, and your new name is God is alive and he speaks. How incredible is that? New robe, new family, new, new wealth, new job, and now he has a new name. Why? Because God's giving him a new direction. Not only that, he says, I'm going to give you a new wife. And God gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priestess of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. So he got a new wife as well. And, and a wife from a wealthy family, from a known family. And her name means one who ministers to the one who is God speaks and God listens. So God gave him a soulmate. Just, I mean, I, I know it comes off the page, but just imagine the changes that are going on as Joseph is standing before Pharaoh. Then Moses writes this, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of the kingdom of Egypt. Now many people believe that he put this down here to help us understand that at 30 years of age, Joseph is put in charge of a great responsibility. And it's God's way of encouraging us that age is no limit or no barrier to God being used and using you. You're never too old. You're never too young to be used by God. That's why Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. God's not interested in age. God's interested in availability. That's what we learned last week. You're not too old, and it's never too late. I know people say, say, well, you don't understand, Rusty. I'm 65. Rusty, I'm 70. And it's just too late for me to begin a change this week. The pastor that I grew up, when I was a teenager in my home church, the pastor's wife, she passed away this week. She was an incredible woman of in, in, incredible gifts. She had loved the Lord from the time she was in college. She married a minister. They went off to Daytona during the Jesus days, and they ministered to Jesus people, but she always had a heart for children. They lived down the street from us, and I used to babysit their kids, and, and they always had foster kids coming and going. I never could imagine how on a pastor's salary, because I knew what we were paying them at that church, and I thought, how do they have three of their own and three fosters coming and going? But God blessed them because she loved kids. She was a stay-at-home mom. 
until her last child graduated high school. And she decided at the age of 47 to go back to school. And at 47, she went back to school to get a degree in helping children. And she stayed at school all the way through her Ph.D. And at 55, she got her Ph.D. and helped to found at Texas Christian University the, the school for troubled children. She called it Ministering to Children in Hard Places. She wrote one of the top bestsellers in the country used today at the age of 58 on dealing with children that come from hard places, dealing with orphans, dealing with adopted children, dealing with children from other countries. She spoke across the country. In the last 15 years of her life, she touched more people around the world than she ever could have imagined in her first 50. It's never too late. Some of you this morning are saying, listen, I, I, it's too late. for me. It's not too late. And it's never too early for you young people to realize that you can change the world if you only believe that God has a dream for you. If you would only embrace that God could do more in you than you could ever imagine. Joseph is 30 years of age. And it said, And then Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. And Joseph collected the food produced in the seven years of abundance. And he stored it in the cities. And in each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. And Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records. They were being blessed. What, what blows me away is that Joseph is given a job. He walks out the door and he starts doing it. No complaining, there's no whining, there's no... He says, I got, this is it. It's my dream. And he starts going to work and he does a good job. It's unbelievable when you think of all that happens and all that changes so rapidly in Joseph's life. He is so faithful to what God has called him to. You know, about 15 years ago, there's a saying that got introduced to the vernacular in the United States, and it came from the military. It's the saying, living the dream. And it was used in the military in a sarcastic sense. Matter of fact, uh, during the Iraq War, during some of the early uh, times that American troops were deployed overseas, it, it became a sarcastic saying. You're serving at 120 degrees outside, no bath for a week, it's hot and sweaty and there's sand everywhere. And you'd come up to a fellow uh, Marine or fellow soldier and you'd say, listen, how are things going? And they would say, I'm living the dream. Well, when they came back to the United States, they brought that saying back to the United States and, and it began to change its interpretation. Songs began to use it. Movies began to use it. TV shows began to use it. Internet took it. and I, I mean, there's a thousand memes. Just go on your internet when you get home and type living the dream meme and there'll be a hundred pictures or a thousand pictures of living the dream, living the dream, living the dream. Because now it doesn't mean sarcastically I'm enduring difficulty. Now it means I'm walking out everything I ever hoped. I got it all. I got everything I ever wanted. And if there was ever a poster child for living the dream, it's Joseph. New job, new money, new ride, new hot wife, right? He's got it all. I mean, let's just be honest. Everything is handed to him. He is literally living the dream. And I would venture to say probably most of us, if we had to define what we thought living the dream is, we'd use some of those same things. Especially if we talk about the American dream, right? Because living the American dream is prestige, nice house, two cars, boy, girl, kids successful, popular, 
active, right? All those things we, we like to put into the American dream. Joseph had it all. Matter of fact, we're going to read in just a minute, he's got two boys. And in that culture, that was huge. He is literally living the dream. But here's the question for us this morning. This, this is where we're going to camp. This is where the water hits the wheel. And it's not a trick question. It's not a hard question. But it's a question that I want you to think about. This is what I talked about earlier. This is where I want you to have spiritual ears, spiritual eyes. The question I have for you this morning is if Joseph is living the dream, when did he start living the dream? If all of us in this room would agree that he is living the dream, when did it start? Did it start when they came and got him out of prison and said, listen, this is prisoner 4537, we're taking you to Pharaoh? Was that when he began living the dream? Was it when he, he, he stood in front of Pharaoh and said, God's going to interpret your dream? Was that when he was living the dream? Was it, was it when Pharaoh said, I got a job for you? Is that when he started living the dream? Maybe when Pharaoh started giving him all that bling, started saying, here's the ring and there's the wife and he got you a new chariot and a new place to live. Was that when he started living the dream? Because you see, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves because all of us in this room are called to live the dream. All of us are given a dream in our heart to, to be who God's called us to be, to do what God's calling us to do. So the question is, when did it start? Well, lucky for us, Joseph gives us a hint. He gives us a hint in what he names his two boys. I want you to listen. Verse 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Basnath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priestess of On. And Joseph named his firstborn Manassas. And he said, It is because God has made me to forget all of my troubles in my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of suffering. He, two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, if you took the Hebrew meaning of those names, Manasseh actually means caused to forget. And Joseph said, I'm naming him caused to forget because God caused me to forget my struggles. Ephraim means double blessing or double fruitful. Ephraim means that you are doubly blessed. And so what Joseph is trying to say by giving his two boys those names is he wants you and I to understand that Joseph started living the dream long before he ever met Pharaoh. Joseph started living the dream long before he ever stood and got the signet ring and got the new robe. Joseph, matter of fact, is trying to help us understand that he started living the dream back in Genesis 37 when he woke up and God said, here's the dream I'm putting on your heart. See, the dream didn't start just when he started getting stuff. The dream started when God put it in his heart. And every place along the way was part of living the dream. You see, you and I, the problem, we would have messed up the answers because we are so quick to judge what being blessed is. Aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. Don't, you don't have to be spiritual. Let's be honest. When we talk about being blessed, what do we think of? We think of stuff. We think of healthy things, tangible things. And so we're so quick to think that when God is blessing somebody, that must mean that he is giving them things and that they are achieving things. Prosperity, right? There's a whole part of the kingdom based on that. Misbased on it, misusing scripture. 
Now, God does include some of those things. Listen, God does bless you with some of those things. But the blessings of God are much greater than that. And they're much more intangible. They're not necessarily things that you can touch. They're things like hope and forgiveness and peace that passes understanding and unconditional love and grace without measure. You see, when you are blessed by God, it is those things that count. And what Joseph is saying is the world looked at it and said, you are in a hot mess. You are in a dysfunctional family that beat you and bruised you and sold you into slavery. And you were a slave for a year and a half before you got thrown into prison for doing the right thing. And then you spent 10 years in prison for doing what God called you to do. And all along the way, you know what Joseph was saying? Living the dream. Living the dream. How do we know? Because if you go back and look at Genesis 38, when Joseph is thrown into that well and his brothers beat him and abandon him, the Bible says, but God was with him. If you go read Genesis 39, when, when Joseph is sold into Potiphar's house, it says the very first thing in 39, 2 and 3, it says when he comes into Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him and the Lord blessed him. Not only that, the Lord blessed Potiphar's house because he was with it. In the midst of that slavery, in the midst of that cougar woman trying to throw herself at him, he was living the dream. And when he stood up for righteousness and Pharaoh kicked him out of his house and put him in prison, he was living the dream because it tells us in chapter 40 that when he got to prison that the Lord was with him. Five times the Lord was with him. So much so that the Lord blessed him and put him in charge. It said the Lord blessed everything that was going on in the prison. Why? Because Joseph was with him. You see, if we want to talk about when living the dream starts, it starts the moment that God puts it on your heart. And the reason Joseph could see that is because he recognized the Ephraim in his life. That God was blessing him in the midst of his suffering. It was all part of living the dream. But here's the key. The only reason he could recognize that he was living the dream and see that he had been blessed all along the way was because God had blessed him with Manassas. You see, God had allowed him, caused him to forget. Because you see, without Manasseh, you can't get to Ephraim. Without God causing you to forget, you can't see the blessings around you. You can't experience the opportunities in front of you. You can't recognize God's hand everywhere. And the problem for many of us this morning is we pray for an Ephraim. We pray for a blessing. We pray for God to give us opportunities and we pray for the open door and we pray for the chance. But we'll never see the chances that are all around us because we've never experienced Manasseh. We've never allowed God to cause us to forget the pains from our past. You say, listen to me this morning. You're living the dream. Right now, you just don't recognize it. Some of you this morning, you, you keep looking down the road. You, you keep praying for hope. You keep praying for blessings. But in reality, it's right here and you just can't see it. All that you've been blessed with, you can't see it in front of your face because you haven't experienced a willingness to forget. Now, all of us have etched in our memories past hurts. 
Words that somebody spoke to us, a teacher, a coach, a parent, a friend. Branded on our heart. Past betrayals. Times when those that called us friends, those that loved us, turned their back on us. Past actions that have disappointed and hurt us. All of us have experienced those things. And and in one sense, you'll never forget those things. But that's not what Manasseh means. Manasseh is not spiritual amnesia. Matter of fact, the literal translation in the Hebrew text of Manasseh is cause to forget the sting. That didn't make sense out of context, but for those of you that have experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. You see, what Joseph is saying is God didn't cause me to forget my brothers. God didn't cause me to forget my dad. God didn't cause me to forget Mrs. Potiphar. But what God caused me to forget was the pain and the suffering that their actions inflicted on me. I told you it was simple this morning. See, some of you in here, you're living the dream. You've been blessed beyond measure. You've been given so many gifts, so many opportunities, so many chances to make a difference in in your neighborhood, in your friends, in your school, in your family, in your future. But you can't see it because you're in bondage and you're clouded by the past pains and hurts that you haven't ever let go of. You've never experienced Manasseh. You see, we learned a couple of weeks ago the real struggle for us is not what people do to us because people are going to disappoint us every day. But the real answer is how we respond when people disappoint us. Joseph chose to allow God to remove the sting, the pain, the anger, the disappointment. And when he did, it freed him up to see the Ephraim. It freed him up to see all that he'd blessed with. And the thing I love about this is that if there's anybody that can help us forget, it's God. Because He's good at it. Matter of fact, what's the only thing that an all-knowing God forgets? Your sin. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, God the Creator, the omnipotent, omniscient One, causes himself to forget the sting of your actions because of Jesus. And if he can cause himself to forget the pain, imagine what he can do for you if you let him. You see, the answer to living the dream is not out there. It's not in your wallet. It's not in having. It's in opening your eyes and recognizing what's right in front of you. We have, as humans, it's been studied, the memory of an elephant. We can't forget anything. But luckily for us, Paul tells us as Christians, we have the mind of Christ. And he tells the church at Rome that that mind can be transformed. It can be renewed when we let God take control. See, Joseph captures this picture perfectly when he captures his memories without allowing them to capture him. See, what Joseph does is he recognizes that there was pain, but he also recognizes there was purpose. And he allows the purpose of God's will to overwhelm the pain of the things that caused it. 
Some of you this morning, you're allowing the pain to drown out the purpose and you're missing out on the Ephraim. The thing that's interesting here, and we'll study it in a couple of weeks, Genesis 48, Joseph is reconciled with his family. His dad comes, Jacob, Israel. Shows up and he meets his two grandsons and he gets his two grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he begins to bless them. And you know what happens? He blesses the blessing of the firstborn, not on Manasseh, who is the firstborn. He blesses Ephraim, the secondborn. Instead of blessing calls to forget, he blesses double blessing, double fruitful. Why? Many people believe it's because God wants us to recognize that his blessings far outweigh any struggle or suffering or pain that you might have to get to receive them. That's why Paul can say in Ephesus, I count it pure joy, brothers, whenever I face struggles, whenever I face trials. How could he say that? Because he recognized that the blessings were a part of the process all along. This morning, I wonder how many of us are missing out on living the dream simply because we cannot see it right in front of us. Simply because we have chosen not to forget and it's been blocked out and clouded by the pain and anger we've experienced. I heard a preacher one time say, how can God prosper you if you spend all your time complaining and trying to get out of the fertilizer he brought that causes you to bloom? You know, as a kid, one of the scariest movies I ever saw was The Wizard of Oz. I don't know if The Wizard of Oz scared you. Scared the daylights out of me. Not the flying monkeys. The, the old woman scared me that turned into the witch. She scared me to death because I had a teacher that looked just like her. <laughs> and I was, I was probably first grade, kindergarten. And she looked just like, she wasn't my teacher. She was a teacher at our school. And you'd see her. And you could just hear that when she walked around the halls. But I loved watching The Wizard of Oz. But the only thing, I, I hated the ending. I didn't like it. I still don't like it. Because they all come and, and they get rid of the wicked witch and they come back and they discover that Oz is nothing more than just a man and, and then he begins to grant them things that they already had along the way. You want courage? You already got courage. You want a heart? You already got You want a brain? You already got a brain. And then Glenda the good witch looks at Dorothy and she says, you want to go home? All you got to do is click your heels three times and say there's no place like home. Because you see, Dorothy... You had the ability to go home all along. And you see, what breaks my heart is not a cemetery full of unrecognized dreams or a cemetery full of unwritten poems or unwritten novels. What breaks my heart is that so many believers are going to stand before our Lord and Savior with unrecognized and unrealized dreams that they had all along that was right in front of them all the way through the journey. See, some of you have been praying for a breakthrough, been praying for a blessing, been praying for a dream to come true, praying for your Ephraim. Maybe it's time you start praying for Manasseh that God would give you the ability to forget and allow you to see all that you already have. Let's pray.